church, our Lord said, why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. I stand up, I will not sit down, and I will not be tied, and not be bound by anything but the love of my Jesus, the one who came, came to bring the freedom, and I lose myself, and I want to say no, but then I think of Calvary, and I see the hope, embracing the cross, I can do all things, I'm able to fly, able to sing this song of hope, to all who live in darkness, and a message of peace to the man who brings a war, and a sign of love to the lost and forgotten, Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again, as always. That entry song is Peace Comes by Robbie Curtis from the 2008 Rockin' Romans album, which you can find a link to on my website, along with the show notes and your homework, as usual, at www.catholichack.com. We're going to be talking about the triumphal entry of the King Messiah, the new King Solomon. But he brings with him a new priesthood. I bet you didn't think of that before. But we're going to get into that tonight in a a short and very quick and jam-packed Bible study on Palm Sunday, which is coming up in just about a week. So let's get started with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All praise and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God, coming before you. We praise you. We seek to soak up your word. We pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come down upon us, to guide us, to show us your truth, to break it open that we might come to understand. We pray for the gift to share this, the excitement of learning your faith, of learning your word, and and all that you teach us through your church to share it with the world. Give us the courage to proclaim this good news with our neighbors. We pray for the conversion of sinners. We pray for the souls in purgatory. We pray for Christians who suffer persecution around the world. Pakistan, the Ivory Coast, India, Indonesia, Cambodia, and everywhere else, Lord. 
We pray that in the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that our hearts will be joined to His, that we may that we might learn to love our neighbors as he loved us, suffering for us. So we pray to become like Christ. We ask Our Lady for her intercession in this, in this wonderful goal. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you made it to confession yet this Lent? Go. Go. Go this week. Don't wait. Go. Prepare yourself for the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Prepare yourself for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by being reconciled to God. He is calling you to the confessional. He desires, he longs greatly to see you coming, to run to you, to embrace you, to, to restore your dignity by reconciling you, by forgiving and absolving your sins through the person who sits there, the priest. So go. Give Jesus your sins that he might take them away from you because he bought them for a price. That price was the cross upon which he was nailed. And so they no longer belong to you. They are his. Give them to him. All right. Well, this week we're talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday. And I think this is going to be a two-parter. Uh, there's just a lot of information and I don't think I can share it all in one show. So this week we'll talk about the new Solomon and the new priesthood. Next week, we'll get into how uh, tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Hanukkah and the prophecy of Zechariah are also found here, perfected in Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, riding on an ass, on a donkey, the fowl of a colt, as a, as a new Messiah king, right? So that'll be next week. This week, it's the new Solomon and the new priesthood. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 559, says, quote, How will Jerusalem welcome her Messiah? Although Jesus had always refused popular attempts to make him king, he chooses the time and prepares the details for his messianic entry into the city of his father, David. Acclaimed as son of David and as one who brings salvation, Hosanna means saves or gives salvation. The king of glory enters his city, riding on an ass. Jesus conquers the daughter of Zion, a figure of his church, neither by ruse nor by violence, but by the humility that bears witness to the truth. Now we're going to stop there. The, the paragraph goes on, but I want to get into St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 13, and this account of Jesus coming in as a victorious king into the city of David. Quote, verse, starting in verse 1, quote, And when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find an ass tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them and he shall send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, quote, Tell the daughter of Zion, 
Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on an ass, on a colt, the fowl of an ass. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the ass and the colt and put their garments on them, and he sat thereon. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that were went before him and that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple of God and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Unquote. Okay, there are so many things going on here. I uh, produced a podcast a few years ago on this, and I referenced this in the show notes at catholichack.com because I spent a little more time on it there. But I'm going to break this episode up into two parts, this week and next week. Next week will be Palm Sunday as we approach the the Holy Week, right? Well, I want to talk about the New Solomon and pick out the parts of that passage we just read, which will resonate from the Catechism paragraph 559 that we read, and show you how Jesus is being depicted here as the new son of David, which the very crowd picks up on and proclaims him to be, right? But also, there is a new priesthood coming. He has come to bring us a new priesthood, and it's bound in this episode. So let's look at it. Let's take a look at the elements here. Uh, You see Jesus being seated on a donkey, right? A a special donkey is brought, a colt, a fowl of an ass, there in verse 7. And he's put on this donkey by his disciples, again, verse 7. And the crowds are cheering him in verse 9. Garments are being spread on the road for him to pass over on, in verse 8. Palm branches are waved and also placed on the road, in verse 8. And the shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David are heard, in verse 9. Jesus is also tested for his wisdom here, like Solomon was. Now, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, chapters 4 through 10, you'll see that there was many episodes of King Solomon's wisdom being tested. You know, he was given that test of the two women with the one baby left over, and uh, he tries to cut it in half, and the, the real mom comes to say, no, give it to the other woman so that the baby is spared, right? So we see other episodes like the, the Sheba coming out to, to witness his famous wisdom. So there's all of these tests of King Solomon's wisdom. Well, this is perfected in Jesus Christ, and we see how his wisdom is also tested in Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 46. For instance, the the coin, you know, uh, is it right to pay taxes, you know, dear Jesus? And he says, well, whose image is on that coin? Well, Caesar's, of course. Then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's, right? Well, whose image is that on the coin? It is Caesar's, and so you give it back to Caesar. Well, whose image does Caesar bear? God's. All men bear the image of God. And so what must all men, even Caesar, render? 
themselves back to God. And so Jesus has a uncanny way of getting out of these tight spots, these, these tests that are designed to trap him, to ensnare him, right? But he always gets out of it. His wisdom prevails. And truly, we can say that something greater than Solomon is here, as we are told in St. Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. Okay, so those are the elements that I want to draw upon today. Now let's compare those to the account of how Solomon uh, entered into Jerusalem. We're also going to reference how another king, Jehu, over the Israelites, also uh, was anointed king, right? Let's start with Solomon. Let's turn back now to 1 Kings chapter 1. Look at verse 38. You know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and read the account for you, and then we'll reference the individual verses. 1 Kings chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 28 and go through 40. Quote, then, da- then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, he who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and did obeisance to the king and said, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit upon my throne, for he shall be king in my stead. And I, have, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judea. And Benaiah the son of Jehodiah answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, And Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, and the Chetherites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise, unquote. Okay, so that's the, the, the stage that's set now that we can then compare and contrast to. Now, one other note I want to make about that before going into the details is that Adonijah, Solomon's brother, already proclaimed himself king. And guess what? Adonijah had a priest for himself to anoint him king, right? This was a, a different priest, not Zadok, not even of the same line as Zadok. And Adonijah called forth the general of the army and the sons of the kings in this great pomp and circumstance and rode into Jerusalem with great, with great power and authority and might. Compare and contrast that to Solomon riding on a mule 
with his own priest and prophet, right? So there is a, a lot of difference there. Humility goes a long way. David, he was the smallest and youngest of all his brothers. And it, and they, everybody thought his, his eldest brother would be the king. I mean, he looks the part, strong and robust and good-looking. David was this scrawny little young man tending sheep, the lowest position of their society. And yet he was considered a man after God's own heart, right? So humility goes a long way with God. And so Solomon rides into the city, right? So let's look and compare. Verse 38, Zadok the priest caused Solomon to sit on David's donkey, right? The priest put Solomon on the donkey, very important. Verse 40, the crowds shouted and are cheering, and so much that the earth almost splits, right? How about verse 39? They shout, long live King Solomon. So automatically we see many parallels there. Let's also look at an account of Jehu. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, Elisha the, the, the prophet is called to anoint Jehu. And so he Elisha calls an, a junior prophet and says, go and anoint this Jehu, right? And make him king over Israel. And so they do. In verse 13 of 2 Kings 9, you read about how the crowd laid their garments on the road for him to pass over while the trumpet is blown and they shout, Jehu is king. Again, very similar to the account of Solomon entering. But you see how these garments being laid on the road is a way of honoring this king. And so we see that with, with uh, the new son of David, Jesus Christ, the new and greater Solomon, right? The crowds laying their garments on the road as he passes by. The crowds shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Clearly, those people knew exactly what they meant by that. They knew what they were talking about when they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. They understood what Jesus was doing, riding on that donkey. To them, it meant something. But I want to draw your attention back to who put Solomon on that donkey. Zadok the priest. Who put Jesus on the donkey? His disciples. Well, if Jesus is the new Solomon in this analogy, in this comparison, this parallel, this type, then who is the new Zadok, the new priests, but the disciples themselves? We'll get back to that in a moment. Another uh, passage from the Old Testament that's being quoted and brought to bear here is from Psalm 118, which, which just happens to be the great Hillel Psalm, which is sung at the Passover meal, which Jesus will do in just a few days from now, right? He will, at the night before he is offered up, he will uh, prepare this special Passover feast, right? And there he will sing the great Hillel Psalm, which will include such a... Uh, verses as the ones we're about to read. We're going to read uh, Psalm 118 verses, let's see here, verses 19 through 27, quote, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I shall thank thee that thou hast answered me and hast become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, or 
Hosanna, we beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, give us success. Blessed be he who enters in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. Unquote. There is so much going on there. I hope you caught most of that. But you can see that as this is being quoted here, with Jesus' entry into uh, into the city on this donkey with the, the branches and the people shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, O Lord. Verse 25 of Psalm 118. Hosanna or save us, right? Verse 26. Blessed be he who enters in the name of the Lord. Again, being quoted by the crowds there with Jesus Christ our Lord in Matthew's gospel. Verse 27 of Psalm 118. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar, unquote. This very passage, this Psalm 118, is sung at the Passover, which is the institution of the Eucharist, right? And so the significance of going to the altar is very important. Because where does Jesus go when he enters the city? But into the temple to cleanse it, right? He goes to the temple, to the horns of the altar. <laughs> it's just fascinating stuff. Also, the light that's being spoken of here in verse 27 of Psalm 118. Think back to Matthew 5. The light, right? Jesus comes to bring the light. Now, here's a question. If Jesus is being depicted in the comparison, as I said, as the new Solomon, and I compare the, the, the disciples to Zadok the priest, right? And and basically, in a way, also the prophets. I want you to, to think to yourself what the significance of that might mean. Isn't there a chief priest in the temple when Jesus rides in there? Well, he speaks to them in Matthew 21. He speaks directly to them by parables, right? Jesus comes to bring a new priesthood. Like Zadok anointed uh, Solomon, there was a different priest who anointed his brother Adonijah. That different priest's line was the wrong lineage, and it didn't it didn't go in, it didn't pass through in time. It didn't uh, give us new priests to serve in the temple. It was Zadok's line that proceeded through history, and so we see yet another point in time where we have two sets of priests. One will go away and the other will proceed through salvation history. That's what's going on here, right? Remember the comparison with the sailors of Jonah and the boat that we made with Jesus and his sailors slash disciples from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27? We said that just like those sailors with Jonah who acted like priests offering sacrifice, and if Jesus is the new Jonah, what then is the new disciples but priests also? So we see, as I said, two lines of the priests. In 1 Kings, we have the, the priest Abithar, who anointed Adonijah. And as I said, Zadok, who anointed Solomon. It would be Zadok's line that moves forward and Adonijah's line that would go away, or Abithar's line that would go away. So we see here two priests. Now, what I want to point out is in one of the parables that Jesus speaks to them in Matthew chapter 21, it becomes very clear that this is going to happen. 
right? Let's look at this. This is the parable of the wine press, right? Uh, let's let me get to this part here. It's Matthew chapter twenty-one, verses forty through forty-six. Here we go. Quote: When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now Jesus was asking the chief priests this very question. Verse forty-one. Quote: They said to him. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing fruit of it. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived he was speaking about them. But when they tried to arrest him, they feared the multitudes, because they held him to be a prophet. Unquote. That's powerful. He's speaking to the chief priests. I'm going to take away your authority. I'm going to take away your priesthood, and I'm going to give it to a nation that bears fruits. Now, this fruit-bearing thing is should be uh, very familiar to us, because what happens after Jesus cleanses the temple? He, he basically curses a fig tree for not bearing fruit. Golly gee whiz, that's a coincidence that he would curse a fig tree for not bearing fruit and then go on to tell this parable and very, and basically tell the chief priest that he's going to take away their authority, their priesthood for not bearing fruit. You think that's a coincidence, possibly? Or maybe that's just what God intended to communicate to a stiff-necked people who refused to be reconciled to God. Now, there are three sign acts, as they call them, in Matthew chapter 21 through 23. There's the cleansing of the temple, there's the cursing of the fig tree, and there's the delivery of the parables, right? The parables are the two sons, the wicked servants, and the marriage feasts. All of them are meant to communicate judgment upon the people in charge in Jerusalem. The temple system is corrupt. That, that court that Jesus had to cleanse was the court of the Gentiles. It was meant to bring all other nations back into God, all of his other sons. You know, if Israel is the firstborn of his sons, according to what Moses was told by, or Moses was told to tell Pharaoh, rather, in Exodus, that would indicate that all other peoples, all other nations, are therefore also sons of God. So it was always the intention of God to reconcile all nations and all mankind. But he first tried to consecrate his firstborn, because the firstborn is a priestly role. The firstborn through salvation history up until the golden calf was the priest of the family. It was their job to mediate between the other family members and God to help reconcile them back to God. So the people of God were meant to be a kingdom of priests to go out into the world and to bring back all of the other sons and daughters of God. So this court of Gentiles was meant to help the other nations be reconciled to God. And what do they find there when they travel all that way to come to Jerusalem? They find the money changers, all the noises of the, the, the cows and the sheep and all the 
the pigeons, you know, the smells and all the, the bartering back and forth and the scandalous system of changing out money into temple coins that could be used for sacrifices and tithing. And do you think they might have upped the little percentage on maybe earning a little more in the exchange? Do you think it was quite fair? No, it wasn't. There was a lot going on here that was not right. And Jesus cleansed it because they failed to do what they were supposed to do. He has come to proclaim judgment. And you find that in these these synacts and in the parables. They are proclamations of judgment, moving from warning to threat to doom. And what happens? Jesus issues seven woes in Matthew 23. And if you look at Leviticus 26, you find a sevenfold judgment, which culminates in the destruction at the hand of their enemies. What will happen just 40 years after Jesus proclaims these woes? The destruction of the Jerusalem temple, the utter destruction of Jerusalem itself, so much so that Josephus says that they ate their own children out of desperation to survive. That's how bad it really was. So what's the implication here? Jesus, the new Solomon, the one wiser than the old Solomon who built his house upon a rock. Jesus built his new house upon the rock of St. Peter and has come to give us the right priesthood, right? Taking away the authority from the old and giving it to his new ministers, the new priests who will administer the new sacrifice of his body and his blood from the new temple, which is clean and pure, his very body. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.